I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get ready, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for kickoffs and kick-ons. Yes, hello and welcome to Kickoffs and Kick-Ons, the Coco Show. It is a new dawn, a new beginning. Everybody, a round of applause. Very exciting. Thank you. Thank you, one and all. Uh, yes, it is uh, It's episode one of our mm. debut season. Uh, we are a new show. Uh, we've never really done any of this before, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but we are pumped. We are absolutely pumped. There's a big eight years of rugby union ahead uh, in Australia, as we know. And we are going to be at the forefront here at CoCo. Now, um, Tommy, he's written another bit of a rundown here for those of you that um, know Tommy's great work. And he's done intros for our three uh, ex-Wallabies. And he's really gone above and beyond this week. So let me get into this. First off, the draft board is a man that speaks his mind both before and after he has consumed 20 beers. He has a deep rapport with intoxicated Welsh fans and has an uncanny knack of killing coaching careers. Please welcome to our new set, the litigating lethal weapon, <laughs> the one and only Baron of Bondi, Drew Biv Mitchell. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Number one draft pick. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Number two, listen to this one. Next off the board is Biv's Iceberg Sauna Buddy, a man that is grey on top but is 50 shades of fucking awesome. <laughs> he lives by a simple code. A pie a day keeps the doctor away. He has a fascination for felines. <laughs> And knows everything about defense. Please put your kitty paws together for Swoo. <laughs> oh, what a good one. That's oh, a good one. Oh, very good. From across the narrow sea comes a man that is winding back the clock. The starting 10 of the San Diego Legion. A man playing such good footy. Even Tom Brady is thinking of going around again. He is the little engine that could and will. The father figure of this podcast and the man with a Mai Tai-fueled moral compass. Please put your hands together for a man that gets real yummy for a certain type of gummy. <laughs> the one and only <laughs> Goitan. I don't like the uh, the starting ten. That's not uh, that's not factual. The rest is good. <laughs> He's yeah, always we, bloody humble, isn't he? You, you're not starting for San Diego. Is this a scoop? 
Well, it's pre-season, so we're all pushing, vying for a spot. <laughs> ah, bullshit. You're starting out. <laughs> That's the line, no. Uh-uh. You're not coming out of retirement to ride the yeah. pine, mate. Uh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> now, gents, how are you all? Let's start with that. Uh, Biv, how's the break been? Christmas, New Year, all that stuff? Yeah, mate, not too bad, actually. I was stayed pretty local. Had five, five nights up in Queensland just to uh, reintroduce myself to the family. Um uh, that was good over Christmas and then just otherwise stayed pretty local and um, got very festive. As you do. Mm. As you do. Swoop. Yep. Drew in. Much yeah, holiday swoop. very similar to Drew. Um, two weeks up in Palm Beach. Not the Palm Beach in Queensland though, the Palm Beach in northern New South Wales. Beautiful part of the world. Um, lucky enough to have a wife who's got um, a holiday house up there, so spend a lot of time <laughs> with the kids. <laughs> and, hey, cha-ching. Hey, cha-ching. if you're listening to this and you're a, you don't live in Australia, just Google prices in Palm Beach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, they say, you know, how's transition going? I married well. But yeah, no, it was, it was a great holiday. Um, yeah, over eight, over drank, but um, happy to be back at work and Pumped. a little bit of routine. You're not happy to be back at work, mate. <laughs> well, do you mean this work or the one that you were complaining about upstairs? <laughs> what are you talking about, Prof? Come on, mate, look after me. Um, mate, routine, you know how important routine is. For Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. What about you? Me, great break. Um, three different holidays with the wife and kids. So wow. took the fights on the road, as they like to say. <laughs> Lots of arguments in different states. Uh, but it was good. We did Palm Cove, Canberra. Gits, I came down there. You weren't there, though. We did uh, Questacon and the likes. Yeah. yeah. Goit, did you – good festive season, mate. Did you rip in? Uh, yeah, different type of rip in to the boys. I um, underdrank, underate, overtrained. I had uh, – yeah, it was a pretty tough break just getting ready over here for San Diego. So I had a lot of training, um, took a little bit off with the kids. Christmas, got around, trained quite early and then made use of the day. So mine was probably the most boring, although it was great with the kids and family. Love that <laughs> <laughs> You just got, went quickly into reverse there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Now, we do have a jam-packed show for our first Coco. Out of the ranks, uh, obviously big news in the world of Australian rugby union. Two new coaches, Wallabies, Wallaroos. We will get into that. Um, we're on the eve of uh, Super Rugby. A little bit of chat about that. The Wallabies have released their schedule for all you Mad Wallabies fans. Uh, Thirteen games this year. Have I got that right, Tommy? Thirteen games this year. Um, also, obviously, Six Nations has kicked off, um, and we are all about. Uh, Drew, you were saying it's the best comp. On Earth, the Six Nations. Were you? Well, that's the what they comp. That's what they say up in uh, the Northern Hemisphere. But then we get to the World Cups and they don't win. We will be giving you a full Six Nations wrap. So if you are watching us from the Northern Hemisphere, please stick around for that. And then what about this for an all-star guest for the very first show? Who is it? Well, hey, Goitan, you've you've landed this one, this big fish. You want to tell us who it is? No, I wouldn't call it a big fish. Um... No, I'll let Drew do it. Oh, you want me to do it? Uh, yeah, I well, think look, so. let's just get straight to the point. It's bloody none other than Jay Bear, Johnny Wilkinson. Johnny Wilkinson. Yeah, so we're going to have a good chat with him throughout the show. Absolutely. Very exciting to have him first up. Hopefully, that gets us a, flu- a few clicks and people realize that we're a new show. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we actually don't even anymore. like him. We just want the clicks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much. Um, hey, I don't know if you've noticed, guys, um, and probably it's only the trained eye that will have noticed, but we have a new set. Oh. Um, it does look a lot like the old set. I don't know, Hugo, if you can maybe give us a wide here. Um, I, the, I, the only thing that's very obvious that's different is probably the pot plant. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have that previously. 
Um, but what do you what do you think, guys? Can you see it there, Goitan? The new set? Yeah, it looks really comfortable. Oh, yeah, mate, my ass is hurting. Yeah, is that from the uh, chair? Or? <laughs> Let's not do jokes like that. That's not what this show is. I apologise. Yeah, so two hundred dollars this set cost us um, down at Bunnings. Well, I I do have a question though. Yes. Like, it's been quite some time uh, since we divorced. Mm-hmm. We you're in the milk. Yeah, what's that about? <laughs> Mate, milk crates aren't free, so I bought 76 litres of milk. <laughs> so really oh, I don't want to go out of date. I've got like four Skull, skull your pint. Yeah. Skull your pint. Mate, I am lactose and Go on. I'm going to be farty and bloated very quickly. Go on, mate. Don't. No, well, well, I mean, we've had a, a number of months over the, oh. the, the festive period for, yeah. for you guys and the team. I thought, you know... You were going to find some sponsors and some uh, cash. Can I, what the fuck is this? Mate, can I say the one thing when I jumped from league to union, you all said, oh, the corporate dollar, the corporate dollar. It's a load of bullshit. Mm. None of you have any connections. I've, I've had How many first phone calls I've had? Are you hiring actors from certain companies? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a second phone call yet. Well, I think if you look at it, we all made more money in euro and in yen and in US dollar. <laughs> we just don't know anyone in Australia. All right. Anybody over there, Goitanya, are you selling something to your left right there? Have you got your own no. private sponsorship? Oh, what is that? I didn't <laughs> even know it was there. Um, now that I came over here and one of the owners of Legion, San Diego Legion, he uh, makes a Mai Tai, would you believe? Oh. Is the company. And Mai Tai um, is going to be my choice, so I'll have a crack at that in a little bit. Um, but what I did notice is the merchandise. Your shirts look great. Yep. Well, here's the thing, right? So, um, we we bought the four shirts, but that was kind of it. So, we don't have any other merch. <laughs> um, we, are, we are on a tight budget at yeah. the but moment. We'll get Who's more? Got the oh, we will. Who's got the fourth shirt? Oh, it's yours here. Hold on. Let me hold that up for you. Um, just grab my – hold my mic here for me. Sure. There you so go. There That's, you go. You That's yours, Goit, if you like. It's got the Coco flag. Can you see that? Yeah, I can. Oh, that looks good. It, it really is. Good. It's an extra large, though, although from Tommy. Perfect. So you'll have to go and change that for a small, just so, because we know you like to wear them tight, Goitan, don't you? That's it. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Anyway, yeah, th- that merch will be available eventually. in due course. In due course. And if you are a sponsor and you want to get on the number one rugby podcast in the Sydney region, <laughs> <laughs> are we? In the Artaman region. In the Artaman region. <laughs> Then uh, send us Ollie. How do they do that? Do they just send us a DM or pretty much? What, what about if anyone has a spare lounge? Because <laughs> like <laughs> there's milk crates and get plank of wood. Yes. So if you do have anything that could go in this set, I know you're looking at it right now, going, "How could I get any better than that coffee table made out of witches' hats and chipboard?" If you've got something at home, maybe Nan died on the couch recently and you don't need it anymore, the old lazy boy or whatever. <laughs> send it in and we will sit on it. We don't care. How do they do that? Send us a, a DM and- um, Photos. Photos. We the, we can't afford to get it shipped, so if you can ship it to us. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's, oh, it's a big joke. We have no money. And we've done the maths. We gonna, it's five shows. We can survive. Oh, is it? Five really? shows. Yeah, fair oh, That's all right. And I'm working for free at the moment, so- yeah, well, you get what you deserve. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting paid what I'm worth. Uh, just a reminder, socials, where can they find us? It's all new. It is all new. So uh, on X and YouTube, it is at kickoffs and kickons. Please like and subscribe. 
get on. There's going to be plenty of stuff throughout the year. Um, Insta, we're at at kickoffs and kickons. I'm starting to think this is a bit of a running theme here. TikTok, at kickoffs and kickons. Uh, and anywhere you get your podcasts from. So podcasts will be up. Um, and I guess the other thing is if you know somebody that used to watch the old show, and yeah. they're like, where did those wallabies go? Tell them. Tell them where we are. Yeah. Yeah, spread the word. Spread the love. They're kicking off and kicking on. Absolutely. Uh, Now, uh, we've already done a little trip as kickoffs and kick-ons. We got to the Sevens, which Mm -hmm. was great, guys. We went across to Perth uh, and we got to meet Holiday Swoop again. (laughs) Wow, not really. But you know what it is? So, we've had two trips as a podcast. One was to the World Cup in in France. Uh, Prof, you changed your flights, went home a a week early. And lost 10 years of my life. And and second one, we went across to Perth and... Prof changed his flights and goes home early. <laughs> Wait, what is going on? You, uh, one of you has a problem and because uh, I snuck away from you on the Saturday. I don't know if you noticed. You probably didn't, did you? Yeah, you smoked bomb. Yeah, I smoked bomb. Well, yeah. I, I just went early because I'd lost my voice. I was like, there's no point me being You know here. what happens when Drew loses his voice? He can't contribute anymore. So just, I just bail. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Just fair. But I told everyone, you didn't. Oh, Mate, I was sitting next to... Um, Jorgensen, oh yeah, Max, Max Jorgensen's old man, and he yeah. was making me drink rosé out of a bowl. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> when it gets to that level, it's time to go home. <laughs> so we about quarter past seven on my way out and got a bloody cab. Anyway, congratulations to Argentina. Yeah, yeah, um, the they beat the Aussies um, and the Island Girls. Yeah, their Irish first girls. victory in sevens. It was a lot of fun. The old HSBC. It was sevens. a great event. Yeah. Like they, you know, it was the first time that the Sevens was um, hosted by Perth, and you know, HBF Park. There, they had uh, activations at the back, the Beach Club, which is where all the, the teams were warming up uh, before their games. People were able to have access to the players' photos and autographs and the like. But it was just like the whole event. They were playing music throughout the, um, even throughout the play. Uh, some, I think, some teams. It took a little bit of getting used to, but it just created a great atmosphere. The shed down the. Uh, I think it was the West End, South End or North End or East End. One of those. <laughs> yeah, one of four. <laughs> yeah, it was in one of those ends. But like that was like a great spot as well. I just, I just thought that the, uh, you know, for a, for a debut event, like it was, it was a pretty good vibe. Yeah, I reckon the Sevens has got to stay there in Perth. Like the the atmosphere was electric. Like there was a lot lot of energy. There wasn't probably one punter who didn't turn up in fancy dress or some type of sweet and kit from all around the world. We yep. met people from all around the world. So it was, yeah, good spot, good joint. Very good. Hey, Goitan, you played a bit of sevens, didn't you, back in the day? Mm-hmm. Was there an Olympics yep. that you tore up? No, uh, Commonwealth Games, 2004 in Melbourne, I played. Um, didn't tear it up. But I did see the video that uh, you guys did for the Super Round that we're going to. Drew, you were incredibly pissed. At what time was that? I was pissed. Yeah, well, you seem very pissed. No, it was you just my video? voice. It was just my voice, oh, and right. I, I was actually quite uh, quite eyed. well behaved throughout the course of the, uh, the the event. But it was just my voice was gone. You know how my voice is. I got like you know sensitive vocal cords and nodes and it or went, nodules. It or went something. very very it did, quickly. Didn't it? We were sitting in the stands watching the finals, and it just like that. It just went on me. Yeah, I think I need to get it checked. You might have to. Yeah, it's a great uh, little rod over there in Perth, mm. uh, and hopefully we can get to a few more sevens tournaments. Ew. Yeah, yeah, mm. yep. Okay, we'll see how we go. Um, now, obviously, we're getting through a lot this year. Um, Super Rugby starts pretty soon, and we're going to be actually, gents, as we as a lot of people know, we've announced we are going to be at Super Round for all three days. So the second round, Super Round Melbourne, the second 
uh, round of Super Rugby. Mm. We'll be there the Friday, the Saturday, and the Sunday. You guys are pumped to go down, aren't you? Swoop Dio Double G loves <laughs> Melbourne. <laughs> Do you, Swoop? Why, Drew? Get your paws around this. <laughs> uh, apparently, we're going to be the chief fun officers for the entire weekend. We are running it, uh, and we we are going to well, we're going to rip in. Aren't we, Swoop? Mm. Um, on the Friday, Gits has sorted us some hospitality down there. So no doubt we'll be in um, some crappy seats and he'll be up in the corporate box. Gits, is that right? No, no, no. You'll be sorted. If you stay the whole weekend, that is. <laughs> yeah, I've already got a flexi flight. I said make sure the one out's flexi. I'm just worried that my voice is going to go before Sunday when we actually do the live show. Yes. So the Sunday we're doing a live show. That's in, uh, that is in the Super Rugby Lounge. So you can get tickets to that. Make sure you buy that. We're doing a live recording of this podcast. Gits will be back in the country, which will be great. Uh, and then this is the big one. This is the one I'm excited about. And sweet one, you are as well. On the Saturday, they have a bay just for us. It's the Coco Bay. Oof. So people can come and sit with us um, to watch Moana Pacifica take on uh, the Drua, the yeah. mighty Drua. Um, and you can sit with us the whole game. And we will be having a couple of bevies, mm. won't we? And we'll be enjoying the footy. I think they're good seats. If you uh, you can get a thirty percent discount if you buy tickets uh, through our link, which will be in the YouTube de- description on socials. So if you're thinking, "Geez, I wouldn't mind getting along to that," go into the YouTube description um, and click a link. And I'm sure we'll put on our socials and all that as well. It'll be yeah. everywhere. You'll yeah. be able to find it. Come and sit in the bay with us. I think the seats are pretty cheap, are they, guys? Yep, I've got a thumbs up from Ollie. He has no idea what he's doing um, now. Obviously, we're about to chat about the uh, the appointment of uh, Joe Schmidt, which is big news for the Wallabies. But I just wanted to run through their fixtures quickly, the uh, international calendar, because if, for those of you that have uh, watched our show, um, I know it's the first one today, but the old one, we had a little bit of a catchphrase, which was um, shit it in. Yeah. Now, Drew, you stayed up all night and you've come up with a new little catchphrase. Well, you know what? Show. It, I didn't actually stay up very long. I mean, I did stay up all night, but I caught up. I thought <laughs> of this really up. early. Uh, I just thought, you know what? New appointment of, as head coach. I, I think that the the powers to be at Rugby Australia had absolutely schmitted in with this with this appointment. <laughs> schmitted in. So from now on on our show, yeah. Do you like that, Giddy? Schmitted in. Yeah, yeah, really like that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for getting around it. Giddy loves it. Oh, so- I do. I, I loved it. Fantastic. Yeah. So there'll be merch. Don't worry. Um, we'll, uh, we'll have to get Schmitty's approval for yeah. his face, but we'll get that. Um, so let me run through these here and guys, what I want you to do is tell me whether or not we're going to Schmitt it in. Yeah. If you don't mind. Okay. This is just this year. Obviously we're going to Schmitt it in for the next eight years. This is just the next 12 months. Uh, first test V Wales in Sydney on the 6th of July. Schmitting it. Schmitted in. <laughs> Schmitted in. What was that? Schmitting it. Schmitting oh, yeah. it. Uh, second test V Wales, 13th of July, Amy Park in Melbourne. Yeah. Schmidt it in. Schmidt it in. Yeah. Third test v Georgia. They haven't said the location yet. Um, do you know where most Georgians live in Australia? Where should they do this? Is there a large group of Georgians I'm, somewhere? I'm not sure. Not sure. If you're from Georgia, but I'm also it? reluctant to say Schmidt it in because the Georgians <laughs> are bloody big and scary. <laughs> so we'll just win that one narrowly. <laughs> uh, fourth test uh, versus South Africa. 10th of August at Suncorp Stadium. That's going to be a good one. Oh, boys like playing up there, so we'll schmidt it in. Schmidt it in there. Uh, fifth test v South Africa, 17th of August. Back to back, schmidt it in. <laughs> Sixth test, we're up against Argentina, the Los Pumos um, over there. I'm not sure where yet. Uh, schmidt it in, I'll say it. Schmidt it in. Uh, seventh test v Argentina, 7th of September. 
this isn't going as I planned. I'll just read them, shall I? Schmidt it in. in. Well, I, I think we're just going to schmidt them all in. Okay. We? The spring tour is the one I'm excited about. Yeah. We'd like well, to it's come. a grand slam. It's a grand slam. Oh. Yeah. When was the last one? I think we... I think, how many? 1984, was it? 2008. No. Yeah, no, no. That's the last time we, we won a grand slam, but we did a... a oh, right, 2009. Yeah. Oh, Tommy, I've never met anybody make more mistakes. <laughs> Yeah, eighty four, eighty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's good. Year. So there's good opportunity to schmidt it in. We will hopefully get over there as well. I mm. want to do some live shows over there. I know, Giddy, uh, you've got some fans in Wales that you'd like to catch up with. Mm-hmm. What about I, I ran into the bloke? <laughs> yeah, in in Perth for the sevens. Gordy, you remember the bike that came up to me over my shoulder and when I was in Lyon <laughs> yeah, yeah. and was pestering yeah. me when I was doing the live record? He came up and, and said good day in, in Perth. He's like, oh, I was that, I was that pest who was over your shoulder. I was like, good, piss off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, obviously, France is going to Argentina as well, Ireland going to South Africa, uh, and New Zealand have their tests against England. Uh, New Zealand also take on Fiji in San Diego, Gits. Must be big for the uh, area there at the moment. Bit of a buzz around it. Yeah. It's huge. Um, Snapdragon Stadium, the one they've got here. Uh, we had Ma'anonu and uh, Waisali Sarevi. They were the two guests that went. We were away on army camp, so I actually wasn't part of anything, but Ma'a got to leave early and, and announced that. But, yeah, it's big news for San Diego. They, they love their rugby. They're starting to get around the legion and to get, you know, I think uh, a test like that to have the All Blacks here and the Fijians as well. I think it's already sold out. Um, yeah. Tickets went fast. Goody, just quickly on that army camp, like we've done one, I think back in 2007, pre World Cup. You mm. don't really like the army camps. How are you finding it with the US Marines screaming in your face? <laughs> no, I loved it. There's nothing better. First thing in the morning, getting screamed, screamed at to get down, do a push up, get in the pool, get out. It's windy. It was really good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> now, Giddy, you sent through during the week a note to me asking for a few jokes. You were doing a bit of a comedy show. I'm just wondering how your set went. Did you smash it? Um, oh. No, I think my delivery was off, Prof. Yours was a lot better. Um, but I've still got, at the moment, they think I'm the jokester because um, on a Monday the coach will ask, have you got a joke? And I've got them. They think they're mine. So thank <laughs> have you, you, Have you done the banana one? Yes, that got a good reception. Yeah. They like that one. Never seen that the one. The elephant, fun. not so much. No, that's that's more of a, oh, that's one of those <laughs> yeah. responses. Um, yeah. If you ever come and see us live, we'll do those ones. They're very good. Um, now, let's talk very quickly about these um, Australian appointments. Let's get your take on it. Obviously, Joe Schmidt, massive news for Australia, along with David Nusifora and Peter Horn. Peter Horn. Mm. Yeah. Exciting times for us. Yeah, look, I think uh, I think they're all very positive appointments. Um, firstly, Peter Horn, he's got um, you know good reputation in that sort of high performance um, area, and I, look, it's it's an area that we we need because I think previously we've probably coupled the high performance with the head coach as well, and it's you know they're two separate jobs and it's and two very significant jobs within the organisation. So to have someone like Peter Horn there, uh, also. Um, advising is is David Nusifora. They they uh, you know Nusifora had you know a fair bit his hip fingerprints all over the centralisation and and the high performance stuff that went on in Ireland before they became number one in the world. Uh, also 
news before I worked with Joe Schmidt with his at the time when he was the head coach of Ireland, which then leads to Joe Schmidt's appointment. I, I think it's a very good one. I know that there was a lot of people saying, you know, there needs to meet in Australia. No, no one's won a World Cup with a foreign coach, but you know, we've just had a foreign coach. Didn't go particularly well for us. But I think also importantly, Joe Schmidt's signed for after the the British and Irish Lions tour. Um, what happens beyond that, I think, will be determined by how it goes between now and and uh, and that tour. Um, but look, I think. Someone like Joe Schmidt just seems to have a bit of a calming influence. Uh, I think he'll have the actions speak for for themselves as opposed to getting into the press conference and and uh, you know all these sort of one one liners and and grabs in the, in the media. Um, you know, sort of probably speaking more so than than some of our actions on the field. So I, I think Joe Schmidt is a uh, is a good appointment. Uh, and probably someone that we need at this point as well. And, and Joe Schmidt's history went to Leinster when they weren't doing particularly well, got them back on track, Ireland the same. So he's had history with teams that are in a similar position to where the Wallabies are now off the back of, um, you know, last year's World Cup. Uh, you know, I think there's, there's, there's good opportunity for, for good growth and long-term growth for this Wallaby group. Swoop, pumped about the appointments? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great appointment. I think for Schmidt in, in particular, he'll bring a framework that's you know going to benefit the squad, particularly from where we are right now. Um, you know, he's been with Leinster, had taken them to multiple championships. You know, success with um, the Irish team and the Six Nations. He's worked with the Kiwis. He's worked all over Europe, so he knows what success looks like. And I think that's going to have a huge influence on the team. It's something that we need at the moment too. We need to understand. Um, how to succeed, how to win, and what performance looks like. And also what I really like about in his last interview, he was really, he was genuine, he was realistic. He didn't say, he didn't come out and say, oh, we're going to win the Lions or we're going to win the next World Cup. He said, we're just going to compete. And that's all that team needs to focus on at the moment is just doing the best they can to compete and putting themselves in a position to win football. Gitz, do you think Joe Schmidt will be telling any reporters to give themselves an uppercut <laughs> or will he be doing any Cadbury ads where he's knocking on the door saying we're going to win the World Cup? Yeah, and the croissants. Uh, no, he. Um, I don't think he is. He actually even said that. I think in his um, press conference, he was just saying, "I'm not going to make any bold statements. You can judge me on our results." So, I think he's obviously focused um, from a media point of view. They're probably not going to get their their clickbaits that, that they're after. But I think for the younger players, they probably need a, a stable arm around the shoulder, supportive coach. And now that we've appointed this team. Um, that we've got. It's just time to, to get around the Wallabies, to get around Australian rugby and just support them the best we can. Now, the other big appointment, Drew, mm. um, exciting news for the Wallaroos. So Joanne Yap has yep. been uh, appointed. Our, Yap, yeah. Our, our first, uh, first full-time coach for yeah. the Wallaroos. First full-time coach, first female coach for the, the, you know, the head coaching position of the Wallaroos. And you know, look, I, I think that's instrumental in terms of having that full-time coach, being able to go across and, and work with the team um, to look at what's going on in the Super W and all other forms of, of uh, you know, the women's game, you know, whether it be the, the club footy or wherever it might be, that the girls are going out there and performing. And, and you know, like, I think this is a great first step uh, to have that full-time head coaching role. And I guess the next you know, steps that we'd like to see happen is that the girls can become full-time um, players as well and, and contracts sort of you know, align with that. So, look, I, I think that they're definitely positive steps. And, you know, Joanne's got a, um, you know, a history in, in her own playing right at the international level with, uh, uh, with England, I think 71 caps maybe or something around that. Um, so she knows how to do it on the field, but also has had some really good success as, as you know, in, that, in sort of those coaching ranks as well. So uh, I think all in all, 
very positive moves. And, you know, I get it that there were some people saying the All Blacks went into a camp in January and they're already ahead of us. But we had to take the time to make sure that we put all these appointments and did the due diligence and made sure that we went through the right processes so that we have some people in those roles that are going to be there long term and have positive outcomes. Absolutely. Very exciting stuff happening in the world of Australian rugby. Uh, but there's a bit of other rugby going on at the moment up in the uh, old Northern Hemisphere. Oh, yeah. Um, and I thought that we could on this show, just because there are a lot of people in the Northern Hemisphere that like to watch us, that we could cover the Six Nations. But we've um, been arguing about what to call the segment. Um, what have you come up with? The Six Nations summation. Ooh. Do you like that? Have you got oh, something better? Wow. Yes. Yeah. You got anything better? Genius. No, okay. that was amazing. All right, That's well, so it's good. now time for the Six Nations summation. <laughs> Very good. Now, I thought for this, because obviously we are down here, we do watch the Six Nations, but we tend to go for the Wallabies, but I thought we could each pick a side to barrack for throughout the whole eight weeks of the Six Nations. Now, um, Drew, would you like to go first as to the side that you've chosen? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm going to go for... Uh, Le Bleu, the, the French, I just thought, you know what, it makes sense. I grew up in France. Uh, I mean, I was only there from the ages of 29 to 33, but I did a lot of growing up. Perfect. Still have got a fair, fair bit more to go, but uh, I'm going to be supporting Le Bleu. All right, so for those of you listening, he's just popping on a French beanie here. So you are now uh, Team Le Bleu. Uh, who are you going to go for, Adam? I'm going with the nation that drinks as much as piss as we do, the Irish. Yep. Right. Uh, big fan of the place, Dublin, Copper Face Jacks. I mean, had some really good times there. Haven't lived there, but mm. I'd like to. And maybe after a Six Nations win, I could probably move over there and do a little bit more. But um, Well, it's looking pretty good for you at the moment for the <laughs> team that you've picked. Uh, I've gone to – actually, Giddy, you go first. Who have you chosen there? Well, I've gone – Drew took France. Um, that was another team that obviously close to the heart. But I love my friends from the Valleys. So I've gone with Wales. Okay. Hang on a minute. I don't have a beanie. I'm not part of the crew. So I went and got myself a shirt. Okay, very good. You pop that on. And while you're popping that on, I've gone for Scotland. Keep um, going while I just get undressed. Thank you. Are you fair dinking with this hat, Tommy? <laughs> <laughs> Why have you gone well, for Scotland? Uh, I married a Glaswegian lady. Glaswegian um, as well. Um, I uh, Am I putting this on? Is, this isn't yep. racially insensitive or anything, is it? Well, you know. Perfect. Okay. Uh, yes, so I've got a couple of Scottish kids, so I'm going to go for Scotland. Tommy, who works on our um, show, is uh, he eats a lot of pasta, a lot, mm. um, at odd hours of the morning when you shouldn't eat a lot of carbs. So you're going for Italy, Tommy, <laughs> if you want to just come in and just wave to the camera. And for those of you listening, so Tommy's going for Italy. So we've got obviously five. Looks a bit Castro Giovanni-esque. <laughs> you couldn't get, the jer- <laughs> couldn't get the jersey on. Now, um Obviously, we are missing one nation, a pretty big, important nation, um, but we are one short. Ollie's not here today, who is our resident Englishman. Mm -hmm. So we do need someone to go for England in this chat. Is there anybody that springs to mind that you guys would know? Goit? No, there's no English that I like to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily enough, though, we did reach out to one, and we've got the one and only, the one that broke a lot of Australians' hearts back in 2003. It's... J-Bear, Johnny Wilkinson. Johnny Wilkinson, Johnny. Yeah. Uh, welcome. <laughs> welcome. Welcome, Johnny. And, Johnny, what, what time is it there? Because you got plenty, you got some big bags under your eyes. <laughs> yeah, mate, it's it's early. It's really early. I crept down the stairs to make sure I didn't wake anyone else up. It's one of the best stair creeps I've ever done. Um, so I feel good about that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit early. I've sneezed a couple of times, so I've got a little bit of uh, – Eye trouble going on as well, but on the whole, yeah, I'm I'm pretty pleased to be here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's, you look 
Let's see if you still feel the same after this. <laughs> uh, okay, let's see. Now, we should touch on England beating Italy. Yep. Um, just to start with, uh, Johnny, did you watch the match? Um, anything that you want to take away from it? Any bold statements? Um, I did watch the match. Yeah, I was there in the stadium. Uh, it was an awesome, lovely day. And it, it was it was interesting uh, to take away. I thought actually Italy, I thought, came out really uh, pretty sort of pumped up. I thought they looked like they had some structure. They executed pretty well. Uh, and they looked pretty reasonably, I think, complete as a team and, and, and fair play to them. I thought England at the beginning... Um, showed some you know some of the intent that we've been uh, looking to see and just a bit of discipline sort of got them a bit sort of I don't know lost maybe a bit sticky in the first half Italy really capitalized that and suddenly England had a challenge on their hands which they had to manage and they they did you know they they sort of did the right things in the right areas but just couldn't I guess push on to that next stage and and deliver what everyone was hoping so it ended up being just another close one but yeah good start for Italy second half but disappointing as they kind of lost their momentum and their their kind of skill levels and what have you but for England yeah I thought it was one of those games where some new players got in there younger players got capped you know very uh, much uh, a start to something but it's it's what happens next that's going to be key because uh, go and face Wales now in in Twickenham There'll be expectation and connecting with the fans at the moment is a really, really big priority and, and how they do that. So it's going to be a, a case of, yes, we really want to win, but it's also still in that how we win. But, you know, they, it was a I think it was a, a reasonable start, but the levels yeah, definitely need to come up. Now, uh, Goit, I know that you mm. uh, would have set the alarm. You love watching England play. You've said this numerous times on this podcast. Do you think they can go mm -hmm. on to win the whole Six Nations, Goit? Oh, gee, I hope not. Could you imagine the carry-on? Um, I was actually awake for it because Alex Corbusero I'm staying with, and he does the Six Nations uh, coverage for NBC, I think, over here. NBC, Corbs? Yep, so he's listening. He wants to get in here. I said no. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I uh, I did watch it. I was hopeful. Um, but in the end, obviously – England were too classy in the end. But has how many games have Italy actually won um, in the Six Nations? They've never beaten England before, have they? No, I don't has think they've beaten them before. No. no. I mean, look, it, Italy have been one against England. Corbs. <laughs> he, he could actually we could maybe give him a gig but look Italy have probably struggled a little bit um you know in the in the Six Nations but they're, they're starting to put a pretty pretty good side together and and not just uh, you know they got some star players Andrew Capuzio and and um you know like Tom, uh Tommaso Allen and, and you know Montiwani is playing well as well there's there's some good players Negri I think at number six or plays in that back row I think he's 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 certainly one to, to watch gets over that advantage I don't think he's Zimbabwean born but Italian father um you know they've got some good players but what they're starting to do is starting to play as a team and and being able to put sustained periods of pressure against um these opposition sides and you know when you look at uh, this English side who had a few debutantes then you know they're going to find um they'll probably take a bit of time to, to find their feet and really gel and you know, if there's any time to kind of knock them off, it's probably earlier on in the in the tournament, which then leads to what Johnny was saying. It's what happens next against Wales, who, you know, in some ways are in a pretty similar position. Yeah, I thought they were, uh, those two tries earlier were well constructed. I think they're starting to put some really good shape together. It's just a matter of being able to be consistent and put those passages together for 80 minutes to, you know, to beat 
teams like England and, and you know, the, the top nations of the Six Nations competition. So, I mean, I think they'll, they'll learn a lot from that match um, and I'm really interested to see how they go in the second round. Now, Johnny spoke about England taking on Wales next week. Obviously, Wales went down to Scotland, a real nail-biter, tight one. Scotland got out to an early lead, 27-zip. Then the Welsh came home with a wet sail. Um, Goitan, you're Mr. Wales. Why mm-hmm. did it take them 40 minutes to wake up? I don't know. I almost ripped up my shirt. I uh, would have just done this supporting someone else. I'm not sure. I think just I've never seen um, that first 40 minutes. I don't think uh, I've seen Wales play as bad or make as many errors as they did in that first 40. Uh, whether it's nerves, they're really young squad. They've got a lot of new players coming in. Um, whether they had to get to that point where they're behind by 27 points to give them that attitude of nothing to lose. And then they started to feel like they belonged maybe at that test arena. They, I'm not sure, but it, it ended up being a cracking game. Um, luckily for you, Prof, they held on, but um, it would have been one of the great comebacks if they were able to pull it off. Absolutely. Johnny, obviously uh, Finn Russell, um, excitement machine there at number 10. Is he the best number 10 going around at the moment, do we think? I think he's certainly, he's certainly in that zone um, where he's – He's leading the game, definitely. I think yeah, there's loads and loads of good number tens out there, but he's the one who's. I think he's got the energy with him, and he's just in that creative space where things are unfolding, and he's starting to change the game a little bit, just the way it looks or the way it can look, and it's impressive because you know you talk about that first half and Wales being a little bit um, off, a bit slow, but he really just made it look easy at times. I think that's. Um, mm. I think it's really exciting for the for the game right now because having someone that's just changing the shape, showing that things can be done slightly differently, bringing back a little bit of the old school ability to just create something out of nothing uh, from that ten spot, being able to take people you know on one on one is happy to throw these long passes from the midfield, which have kind of gone a little bit out of fashion with um, you know with the defence the way it is at the moment, but also just it seems to you have the vision at the moment to be able to you know, find the kicking game 50 20 yeah 50 20s or or if he's in that uh one-on-one space or if he's bringing other players in or if he's creating the shape but certainly the team around him are benefiting from that energy and their scotland are starting to look i think and have been for the last few years just uh like they're very much on the up yeah he's got time because he plays so loose you know and it's like he's playing with such freedom that just the the stress of the game plan or the shape, it's secondary to he's playing eyes up football. Eyes up you know, footy. Eyes up eyes footy, up prof. Footy. You know, we spoke a lot about it in yeah, friends. We, we, we did, you and footy. I. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's just, he's playing with such freedom and he's just, you can see he's enjoying himself. Just allows him to get his eyes up and tack where the space is. And he's, there's no fear around making mistakes. And I think that's what makes him so dangerous. One thing I did do over the last couple of weeks, I tuned into that new Six Nations program. I think it's on, on Netflix. And, and there were some really interesting points from Finn Russell. He sort of said that he just doesn't really bring too much energy to training. Like he's just not someone that really enjoys training. He just likes to play, which, you know, I, you can I can relate to. I can relate to. But, <laughs> he's but, a bit of a rogue. But that's, where I, but that's where I think Gregor Townsend's done, like it's a bit of a masterstroke by making him captain because then it means he has to bring that every every training session, uh, you know, every every team meeting, all that type of thing. He needs to be on to be able to, you know, to, 
to lead by example, but also then be able to say something and then it have weight when he's talking to those teammates. But then off the back of that on the weekend, when in the second half, I think they conceded 14 penalties straight and they weren't getting their right shape. And there were quotes from Finn Russell after the game just saying that the players around him weren't responding to the communication that he was putting out there. So, so I mean, I guess that's probably, you know, like, one, it's probably different having a new voice as captain. And of course, he would normally communicate as, as you know, the number 10 steering the ship. But now he's also, you know, steering the, the team in a, in a leadership role as well, a genuine leadership in terms of captaincy rather than just the playmaker. But, you know, they're those small little areas that once they sort of start to identify with his communication, what he wants, what he needs, then that's, you know, there's going to be even more growth from, from that Scottish side. So, you know, whilst they've been building for a number of years, what Johnny said, I still think they've got so much growth left in them. Now, obviously a bit of Aussie watch, uh, Palutu, if I said that correctly. Gits, how and why did we lose that monster of a man? Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. There's a lot of good players that we've, uh, that we've lost. Um, I don't know. He was playing in Japan. I played him, I think he was at Yamaha when I was at Suntory. So he'd been on a bit of a journey from Super Rugby. He was at Melbourne. Then he went to Japan. Then from Japan, he got an opportunity in Scotland. So, I mean, it's almost even Mac Hansen. You talk about uh, players that we lose. He was in the Brumby system for a long time. Uh, never really started there. Went to Ireland. And for some reason, it just clicks. When you, you move away, a certain style may suit them. And then you can actually see their ability. Um, I think this has been the same, you know, in Scotland and obviously with Mac as well in Ireland. Yeah, well, I mean, Jack Dempsey's another. He played uh, for the, the Waratahs. I think he's in the Wallaby squad. I think he got capped for the Wallabies, actually, Jack Dempsey as well. Uh, he's he's uh, off the bench in the back row. He's, he started a number of times the last couple of years for Scotland as well. So, I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, it's, it's also like it's not necessarily uh, – by fault of Rugby Australia for letting them go. Sometimes they're just not hitting their peak at that time and their players getting a chance before them. So you're only going to get your chance when you're playing at your peak. These guys are hit their peak. Unfortunately for us now, it's just elsewhere. So it's almost a little bit, you know, Will Skelton, he was here at the Waratahs and then when he went over to the Saracens first, um, you know, just it just seemed to click for him. Maybe sometimes it's getting out of your comfort zone, not living at home, having to, you know, do things on your own. And and then obviously now he's moved to, to La Rochelle and, and, and kicked on even even more so. But, I mean, it's one of those things. We're not going to hold on to every one of them. And it's, you know, sometimes other players will leave and then kick on and, and do great things. But, um, you know, he, he's, I think he was player of the match on the weekend uh, in the midfield for Scotland. But, uh, yeah, he's doing some great things. Now, obviously... Yeah, it's also, uh, I think, sorry, in Australian no, got, rugby, we've had some... We've had some good twirls as well. Mm. Um, you know, we got Samu there that was tearing it apart. So it wasn't like it was a position that was weak, you know. So I think he got an opportunity to go away. He probably didn't see a pathway in Australian rugby. So he moved away and got his opportunity. And lucky for him, he's playing test footy. He's playing very well. Hey, uh, let's move mm. on to Ireland, France very quickly. Mm. Uh, maybe, Johnny, we can ask you. You won three of these things, these Six Nations things. Um, Ireland... Currently, the front runners. Can anybody chase them down? I, they're definitely the front runners. They've got an air of inevitability about them at the moment. I just think they're so tight, cohesive as a team. I think they've got a slight aura now and energy, which is starting the game. It's almost you know a, a five-seven point lead anyway, just in how they uh, come onto the field and how they are just so ruthlessly efficient i think it's loads and loads to do with just the the level of coaching the the, mm. the constant selection i think it's the environment that they're in how they feel about that team it seems as though it feels to them like a club team almost you know they go 
they're almost just as tight there as he would be with the team that you're spending day in day out with with your mates it's it's that kind of feel and also you know i think just the details the the technical understanding of what they're up to but they back it up with this physical presence uh that and this kind of momentum going forward this this power and this sort of dynamism which it's a lethal combination and as you mentioned there are a few guys in the backfield they got skills they got creativity as well now they're bleeding in a a new number 10 who seems to have found his feet very quickly which is always going to be the, the question yeah that that i think is really really powerful it's, it's exciting for the game like we said but france was the big one first up and i think they'll be uh, they'll be feeling brilliant about you know putting that one away in france with now the rest of the tournament to come. So, yeah, wow, what a team. And, and I guess they'll, they're sort of showing why it was such a disappointment that they left the World Cup in the quarterfinals mm. by you know, kicking on just this way. Do you think it was a lack of DuPont for France? We all saw what he did for Toulouse. Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess what, what France lose with, uh, with DuPont, Ireland lose with Johnny Sexton. But, you know, like Johnny just mentioned there, um, they, you know, the, the, the the replacements they've got coming in, the depth they've got. I mean, maybe even, you know, obviously Johnny Sexton missed a few at the start of the World Cup. They maybe started to play, you know, in, with a team that was going to be quite similar to what it is this year. I know that obviously also Antoine Dupont missed some through the World Cup as well. But I, I just think um, the physicality that the Irish brought um, and the, the variation in their game just probably surprised a little bit of the, uh, you know, the French. I mean, I just thought they were just clinical. I mean, Ireland, and again, Johnny touched on it, Andy Farrell and the coaching that they've, they've instilled in them. Um, everyone just knows their roles, but also everyone plays what's in front, adapts to what pictures they're getting in front of them. And, uh, yeah, I, I, look, Ireland will get a lot of confidence off that. Again, it's being able to, to back it up next week and uh, and France need to, need to find something. Yeah, there's absolutely no signs of a World Cup hangover for the Irish no. team. Like they're, they're an incredibly strong outfit. Um, in terms of the DuPont, I don't think you can put it down to that. Like, I mean, more than anything, I thought it would have worked for them with Luke and Jalibert. They play with each other at Bordeaux. They've got a really strong partnership. They've got a good combination. I thought that with Luke getting a start, he would want to kind of come in and press. I just, I mean, if you talk about the detail of the game, you know, they fought, the French played with 14 men for the most of the game with Williams there. Williamser. Williamser. I think it's more like Williamser. Williamser? Yeah. Uh, I yeah, mean, unfortunate about, you know, putting his. Shoulder in the wrong place, mm. but um, twice. Mm. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean they were just too strong, you know. And you know the French, they struggled. They struggled to to attack against a, a really strong defensive unit. Now that's very good analysis of the Six Nations. But I'll be honest, I just want to get into some stories about when Johnny used to play with you guys. Yeah, too long. <laughs> and yeah, let's yeah. Do it. yeah. So, but uh, as we race into that, let's do this. People love it when you blokes, all the people with gambling problems, love it when you experts tip who's going to win the next game. So let's mm. go. Uh, Ireland are playing Italy. Yeah, real quick. Ireland, Ireland thirteen plus. Johnny. Yeah, Ireland. Gits. Where's it played? <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. It's in Ireland. Ireland. Yeah, Ireland. <laughs> okay. Uh, then we got uh, England are taking on Wales. I'm going to go Wales. Ooh. Yeah. I'm. I'm going to. Um, I'm going to go England. England. I think. Yeah. I'd be more clinical. Johnny? Yeah, England. England. Gitz? Hart says Wales. <laughs> <laughs> okay, which leaves Scotland taking on France. I'm saying Scotland. I'm going to go Scotland too. <laughs> no, I think France will bounce back. France. Johnny? It's a good one. 
I, I think it's going to be tight. I think Scotland might uh, might have a shot if they they keep up uh, the, the feel they got. But that second half maybe is making me lean towards a very close one. Okay, very good, Giddy. Did Johnny actually pick a team that? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, he did. I, le- I lent. I lent towards. Yeah, you sound like a big fence sit there. <laughs> I'm going with France. Okay, very good. We will uh, endeavour to check those results next week, although there's every chance I'll forget. Um, Let's talk about the three of you. Well, there's obviously a couple of subjects with Johnny we want to talk about. Sure. Uh, But let's start with you three guys playing together in Toulon. Johnny, can I ask you what was it like playing with Gits outside you and then obviously also Drew outside you? Was it a lot of fun on and off the field? Yeah, it it was. You know what? The... (sighs) The best part about rugby, I think, is finding that sense of fun and enjoyment in what you're doing. And that doesn't mean you run around on the field with a, a big smile on your face and laughing and joking, but it does mean that there's some sense of, for me anyway, that uh, just excitement about being there, sense of possibility. And I think when you've got people around you who inspire that sense of anything's possible, even when you're losing, you know, the best thing about having um, when you know, Drew fullback or, or on the wing and, and gets to 12 is, is having that kind of little triangle. You've got someone outside you, someone inside you constantly um, in attack where you're still just looking at that next play and you're excited. You lose that bigger picture of, are we losing? What's happening? You know, oh, geez, we can't win a line out. We can't, you don't care. You're just thinking something could come up with something here. And it's taking you back to that young, youthful kind of drive and and for me on the field that's what it was about having that communication that was full of excitement the idea that you could break a team off any phase you could do it in this next one you could be a bit more creative and so you were playing your own little game within the game plan so the game plan could be one thing but you had your own little mini game plan that just never got boring um, and that being on the field for me was was great. It's also a bit of one-upmanship. You're kind of constantly wanting to prove what you're capable of, why you're in the team, you know, why you might have a bit of a reputation from where you've come from. And you're trying to just constantly sort of push the barrier. So for me, that was that was a massive, massive part of it. And it kept me sort of feeling younger and being able to push on. And off the field, you know, it was nice having people you could probably let loose with in terms of just joking around and messing about and yeah it, for me it was a big release valve from a lot of the energy and intensity that I was bringing to the game to be able just to release that and and talk about anything else but rugby which was often the case with these two it was more difficult to get their minds on it than <laughs> get their minds off it whereas for me it was very much a case of just wanting to be you know, be able just to to relax when I wasn't playing and having that permission or that sense of permission to do that by having two guys around who are clearly very, very capable and achieved huge amounts, but we're doing it in a different way that gave me a feeling of, you know, this is okay. Maybe I can as well. Yeah, Drew, I rang you during the week and said, look, you played with Johnny for a long time. I also sent a message to you, Gitz. You're in army camp, but you got back to me promptly. I wanted a few stories. And there was a couple, Drew, that are you, <laughs> are you happy to... Oh no! Yeah, I mean, of course. I look. I, I think first and foremost, are you like, happy? It's more. It's more. Am I happy? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> We're not live, Johnny. It's all good. We're not live. <laughs> no, but I, I think you know. T- firstly, to what Johnny was saying, like what, when I came, I think it was two uh, two years after Giddy had been there, and um, you know, and so walking into this team, there's there's Johnny and there's there's Gits and there's Buckies and there's 
Brian, like there's just basically like a whole team of players that I just respected because I played against them. Uh, a couple that I'd played with previously and, and maybe even in barbarian sides and whatever. But it was a real sense if you wanted to prove yourself that you actually deserve to be in the same sort of team lineup as as those guys. And, uh, you know, in a training, we didn't do any contact training at Toulon. Uh, Bernard Laporte said there was enough opportunity for us to get uh, injured in games. So we didn't do it at training. But then there was also then that responsibility that you aim up in the game. And when you're in a team huddle and Johnny's talking to you or Juan Smith or Bucky's and these guys, they're telling you to like, you know, really aim up physically, then like you, you want to make sure that you do that because, um, you know, you don't want to lose the respect uh, well, you actually, firstly, you want to gain their respect, but um, you also then don't want to lose that off the back of that. But, but yeah, and then also I, I think, you know, I mean, obviously I, I, I enjoy myself on the field, but also enjoy myself uh, off it. And there's a couple of times, obviously, with, with Johnny. Uh, Johnny actually invited myself and gets over to Majorca one time. Um, he has a, a, a holiday home over there. I think he, he um, you know, Johnny's one of those guys. I, I don't know if you've seen it, but there was a, uh, a halftime talk really quickly, but we had a halftime talk in a semi-final, I think it was, and it's on YouTube and it still gives me goosebumps when I go back and watch it. But no, Johnny's I think that talk- was the final. Was it that the was final? final? It might have been actually Johnny's last game against Cast. We, uh, we looked at it today, Gits, and it was against Racing 92 and it was the semi, I believe. I'm pretty sure the one was at Cardiff and it was the final. They might have got that wrong. Do you remember that one, Up? I do. Do you really want me to say this? Because it's not a good look for you. All right, so I'm wrong. Yes. (laughs) I don't know. I I can't be 100% certain, but I'm pretty sure it was Racing. Yeah, so we're in pretty ordinary speeches. So So it's half time and Johnny's (laughs) dropping in from like French into English, into French and English, doing this sort of like a pump up. Um, sort of speech trying to rally the troops and and to be able to kind of drop in and out of you know multi languages and and to be able to make every like keep everyone engaged but also fire everyone up i just thought you know like at the time i was like oh. i mean i already had so much respect for johnny Can I ask, was johnny only doing the english for you <laughs> because <laughs> well it, everybody it, else could speak french right no, yeah, Bucky's, was, Bucky's I, I, is that right johnny yeah there was if you look when i'm Speaking English, but you'll see who I'm talking to. <laughs> locking eyes on Drew. They're just also trying to keep him from wavering. He's often looking around the change room or looking at the ceiling or just doing something else. So I was always keen on just making sure. Yeah, I think just with the, the whole idea of this chat is that it was, it's funny that um, a lot of the rugby stuff looked after itself for me. It was off the field where I had the, the issues, but the, the thing with my career was the danger was that the off the field kind of stress and intensity found its way on the field. But those guys you're talking about, those, you know, the, the Bacchuses and God knows you mentioned anyone else in that team. Um, it was inspiring. So I was kind of just almost speaking through the inspiration that I felt by looking at these guys. It, it wasn't like a, I need to get these guys ready. It was literally like, I don't know what, what we'd really need then suddenly you just get everyone together you look at them and you start speaking before you know what you're doing a bit like when you're on the field you just start playing and 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 it all unfolds and I think yeah it's not that I rallied the troops just so much I just picked up on the energy of what I felt when I saw them um and it just sort of came out but we had we had such a, a good team and you know there were some guys in there that were a bit a bit slower on the, the French uptake but um <laughs> It, they they got the message. I think emotionally, uh, even if if the English wasn't being being spoken. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so that that was one thing. I so I was so impressed. Just uh, you know, like that he could 
just keep everyone engaged and inspire us in, in, in different languages. And then we get, we get invited by Johnny to go across to, to Mallorca and, and then he just starts whipping out a bit of Spanish. <laughs> I'm like, mate, what, what else does this bloke do? Right, and so I'm like, all right, sweet. Boy, like we're going over. We're going to get on the piss with Johnny in Mallorca. How good. And so uh, we get there and then the very next morning he had us up at before, I think it was like 7 o'clock or something. He's like, come on, boys, we're going for a run. I was like, what? Like, I'm, I'm not here to run, mate. And, uh, and, and gets you remember, we were having to run up the hill. I think it was like three telegraph poles. Then you got to stop for 10 breaths. And then you had to go again. But, of course, <laughs> I did three telegraph poles. And, I was like <laughs> <laughs> and off I went. Yeah, and then we went around to this flat area. And then I was, I was vomiting in the gutter. And these guys are doing shuttles and, like, down on their stomach. And I was like, all right, just get through this. And we're going to get – I think Johnny – and uh, was it um, – Raul, was that our mate, one yeah, of your, your mates yeah, there? Yeah. Yeah, he had a boat for us for the day. I was like, just get to that boat. We're going to go out there. We're going to have a drink. We're, you know, we're going to like let our hair down. And then just as we get there, we, get, we anchor up with the boat. Johnny said, righto, boys, get out in the water. 300 consecutive catches of the skimble. <laughs> 300? <laughs> and I swear, I swear we get to about 280 and Johnny would just bat it down. Oh, start again. I'm like, he's trying to delay. He's trying to delay getting on the piss. <laughs> oh, well, at the start, before, the, um, before we were running, he said, look, we'll work hard and then we can enjoy ourselves a bit later. We never got to enjoy ourselves. <laughs> Mate, this is very much the story of my career. <laughs> That's exactly what it was all about. But it's it's hilarious you say that because um, that was that was the intensity of which running through me the entire of my 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 life really. But that's the that's how my mind worked. Um, however, there's one caveat to this, which is gets you were asking me about because I I don't this is the other story you haven't got for this is that I'd actually retired that season. So I had no reason to be training, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is then down to the fact that Gitz came out and, and as was saying, oh, you know, what's the the new uh, setup going to be like? Because uh, there'd been a change up in the Toulon coach shop, and I knew the fitness test that you guys were going to be doing. So I said, why why don't we do it now? And then you'll have a bit of practice. It was just a little early, I think in the pre-season for it because that's what the shuttles and everything were about but that that telegraph pole one i still do when i go out there um it's still one of my uh it's not fun no it's not funny and and that's essentially a little bit of it was fun to me (laughs) until it stopped being fun but i just kept stopping (laughs) it (laughs) he just kept doing it johnny do you remember also that time we were out in the boat and we went to this cliff and you gits and i climbed up this cliff to do like a cliff jump And then yeah. Git's knees just went on him. He just couldn't bring himself to do it. Do you he was on the edge and just couldn't bring himself to jump. Oh, mate, he was there. You were on the edge for about half an hour. Yeah. Drew and over the water trying to coax you down. Um, but the problem is with that climb a little bit is it's it's reasonably okay to get up, but it's a, it's a shocker to try and climb back down. So you're sort of left a little bit. Once you're up, you're in. Oh, I would have had to jump. I would have had to jump three meters from one rock to the other. Uh, yes. That was the only thing. I don't know what it was. I got up there and I just froze. And then Johnny thought I was joking. I was petrified. Um, but anyway, we got through it. This is about Johnny, though, not about me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You're going to find some vision for us as well, Drew. Yeah, actually, the, the one time, remember, probably the one time we really let our hair down, Johnny, was when we won the double. And we we're back in, uh, in Toulon. We had like a team function sort of around some sort of like, was it the maritime yeah, sort of castle type thing? And I, um, I don't know what brought me to it, but I, uh, I end up test- testing the fabric of your underpants. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Johnny, Johnny was up on his toes. Well, I had his underpants, and I was like, just right up, atomic. <laughs> over there. I was basically just hanging him up, and his little toes were just tapping away. I think I've got it. Luckily uh, for you, Johnny, I don't remember the the passcode, and I don't trust the iCloud, so I, I can't remember the passcode of that phone. Otherwise, that footage would be popping up right that- now. <laughs> <laughs> that uh to, again to add a little extra detail to that and and a bit of context um i'm not overly happy about the his little feet were doing that <laughs> um the other part was that yes you were up there on that until the fabric gave way and the pants actually came off over the head which was the worst part because i ended up spending the rest of that evening which was supposed to be a big celebration pretty much concerned that my uh my trousers which again in a team environment you're never quite safe with where your trousers were going to be so I was like oh it was a hell of a start the next morning was a weird one when I woke up and was like trying to remember why my (laughs) pants which I think were floating in the sea for the rest of that day so someone may have um got those as a bit of a memento (laughs) but that was early on as well that wasn't even end of the night so not quite sure how we got there now, Johnny, while we are doing stories, I, I recently read your book. Very good book okay. uh, for those of you that want to buy a book. Johnny, my autobiography. Um, if you're Australian, don't read the ending. It doesn't end well for us. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's a good read. There's, there is a bit in there about a, a, an Aussie in the year 2007 at the World Cup who gave you an absolute spray oh, from <laughs> the sideline. But it's an unnamed Aussie. Do you know the spray is just go back and do some fucking kicking or something. And do you know which Aussie it was that gave you that spray, Johnny? You know, I don't. Oh, I, 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 I do now, um, <laughs> but I, I didn't at the time. And do you know what? There was, there was a couple of bits that I remember, and they, I think they were from different players. But I, I sort of, uh, yeah, it's been revealed since. But there's certainly no... Um, no grudges held. Um, it was, it, and and there's probably a story for you know for me around this game, but I'll, I'll let you carry on. Giddy, do you want to? Is this a moment when you might be able to apologise to Johnny and tell the story? Well, no, I was 
talking past Johnny. It wasn't actually at him. <laughs> You're weak, mate. <laughs> no, but this, yeah, well, obviously, even when I got to Toulon, I did not, like, I just thought, oh, I don't know, this is going to be interesting playing with Johnny, especially in Australia, you know, he kicked that field goal. Uh, everyone obviously respects him, but dislikes him. <laughs> um, now they obviously love him after uh, two long days. But when I got over there, it was almost like you really wanted to hate him, but he's just super nice, super friendly, could speak both languages. I needed him badly. Um, yeah, it was just – and then obviously got a good connection, playing at Toulon together, winning a lot of um, trophies and that on the field was really good. But I think off the field was probably more enjoyable. I, I liked the – probably the one time that Johnny would relax in a game week was the dinner time uh, the night before a game. We'd sit down and just talk rubbish. Um, that was probably my favourite part, really, out of that whole um, time that we were at Toulon, uh, other than the seeing Drew spew in Mallorca. But, yeah, it was um, yeah, it was a pretty special time. And obviously, you know, we moved on since 2007. So, Yeah, so the story is that during the match when you guys played England, uh, mm. is this the one where Sterling missed an easy kick to... I'm not know. sure. Anyway, so Giddy, yes, you were yeah. on, you were on the sideline and you shouted it just real quick. For people no, no, no. I was on the field. On the field. Um, so what happened? They tried to run out of the 22. It could have been. And I think Jadub, maybe you threw a couple to Paul Saki, or maybe you passed someone else, and then they thrown a couple to Paul Saki, and it went out. And that's when yeah, I it's, said it's, it's, you should just get back in like, your pocket and kick. Yeah, it sounds like it was probably just too good a pass. But it sounds. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Almost like Drew in Grenoble. Yeah. When you threw the intercept, lost oh. us the game. And Well, Drew, you may as well tell this. Yeah, I'll talk this about this a, one. We're uh, at Stud Mayo, and you, in, in the top 14, you just don't lose at home. And and the game was in the balance. We were slight, We were just ahead uh, a couple of minutes to play, and uh, we're going around the short side, and I just offer an option on the inside. And Johnny's going around and throws the ball back inside and then – Grenoble hand comes out, grabs it, runs a length, scores, beats us at home. We get inside, and because Johnny's the golden child, especially in Bernard Laporte's eyes, <laughs> Bernard Laporte tore strips off me for being in that position and calling for it. And I was like, are you fucking kidding? I was like, what are you talking to the bloke who actually passed it? And Johnny, I thought, you know what? Johnny's a stand-up guy. He's going to put his hand up and he's going to take responsibility. Look over at Johnny and he's just writing notes. He's <laughs> <laughs> looking away. It was the same in the team meeting. In the team meeting, he'd do something horrific pretty consistently. And um, Bernard would just he'd point to other people. Johnny wouldn't say anything, and he knew that he'd made a mistake there, but he wouldn't just say, you know what, baguette, it was actually my fault. He'd just go back to his notebook, <laughs> write it down. He's, um, he, I swear he writes, got, a, got away with another one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, um, for a start in that, let's get into this, if we're getting into this, the Grenoble game, um, I was so quick. <laughs> to sort of do the whole kind of uh, after the game. Yeah, well done, guys, everyone. And I was in the change room so quickly afterwards because, I mean, I was like going through major trauma at that stage. <laughs> um, for me and Toulon, major, major trauma because we were six points up and um, it was one of those games where we weren't really playing great, but we were we got ourselves into that space. It was a bit of a nothing game. When I got back into the change room, I was just like, I need to, oh, geez, I need to handle this somehow. Uh and Bernard Laporte was already in the chain room, so it was just me and him. 
for about a minute and a, about a minute before anyone else came in. So what you didn't see was that I had strips torn off me before you guys came in. Oh, really? One on one, one on one. Right. Yeah, as in, like there was it wasn't there was no one else there. Um, so I kind of had my piece. Um, and in terms of my note making, my note making was 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 pretty much genuine. But again, it was rather a lot of that stuff that wasn't really necessary. It was just me trying to handle that energy in, inside me. And and I, I, you know, with those kind of moments on video, I was as bad as anyone else when you sat there going, oh, God, here it comes. Here it comes. What are people going to say and do? But he did. I have to, yeah, he did give me a bit of free run a couple of times. And I, I did I consider even, whether I should stand up for you guys, but it just never... It just never felt right to stand up for you guys, and I stand by that. <laughs> so, because even there'd be times when, um, if I Johnny got rested, so I'd go away for the away games or the games that didn't mean anything, and um, I missed a couple of missed a couple of kicks. And when we came back, he tore shreds off me. You need to be like Johnny. You need to kick like Johnny. Johnny never misses. Blah blah blah. In my head, I'm thinking, well, Johnny's a lunatic. Like the way he trains, I would never do that. But I remember talking to you about that. And that actually affected you when he was saying oh, that I needed to be more like you because it put more pressure on you the way you thought. Yeah, exactly. It was it was terrible. Yeah, that put me in a in a difficult yeah in a, in a rut really um, because my whole lunatic approach, if you like, was all about being three things from when I was a really young kid. Just I, I needed to be three things. Was one was a, a bit of a, a warrior, so like I could never turn a challenge down. Two was a a sort of martyr these kind of archetypes the martyr was that i had to go to the place that no one else would go and if that meant you know getting uh getting smashed or whatever it's like i just had to go there and the last one was a savior so i needed to be i love to be that one who was needed you know and teammates around you and it was, a lot of it was narcissistic because you know, that's just what my version of uh, of performance was about because of how i grew up loads and loads of fear so i put this in place as a young kid thinking this was yeah, a bit of probably religious stuff in there that found its way in. And and so those three archetypes, when they were lined up, I could get anything done. And when you tinker with it, so when you applauded me or when you put me in spaces and it gave me no chance to fuel myself with that. So when Bernard Potts says to anyone, you need to be more like Johnny, I'm sort of like, he's put me in a space. I was much better with the backs to the wall approach of like, oh, you know, and there were times when people were saying, oh, you're not playing great, you're not this, you're not that. And suddenly I'd like, it's, it's ticked all the boxes, here we go. But he put me right up in front. But also, you know what it's like, it's a classic thing as a goal kicker. As soon as you put that on a player that it's not okay to miss, you are in dangerous psychological space. When you put on a goal kicker that it's not okay to miss, because you always have that thing as a goal kicker, never blame the kicker. And it, and the, everyone looks and goes, it's a tough job, hard luck, you did your best. Those, three, those two things really... But when you take that away and say it's not okay to to miss, geez, that takes some handling. And for me, I was looking at you thinking, I knew you were you're an awesome kicker. There were times in that final season where I handed you the ball. It's just like, no, I'm just not feeling this. Yeah, and you did an awesome job. So that's not how I felt or any of the team felt. But suddenly you just get the impression that's what the team are thinking now. I was going into games suddenly in an unfamiliar mindset where I was putting the ball down just thinking that in order for me to have that, respect and have that kind of sense of everyone needing me i had to you know control something which was sometimes not always within your control 
and it just you know ruined me I, might, I lost my feet came out the ground for about you know two months and suddenly i you know i was on the field for probably another hour and a half after every bloody session after that one <laughs> johnny yeah, we did were, that we were the bus that had to wait for you <laughs> johnny exactly. uh swoopy mate um did that stop after uh, you you know you finished playing from rugby did that or did it subside or i mean did it stick around a little bit you know living to those three identities or i mean how did you handle that in in that transition i think i got a little bit of a head start on that a little bit because inevitably that kind of energy although it was getting things done and it was somehow working it was leading somewhere and I, I was i mean i was injured for four entire years in the middle of my career and i thought i got a sense of there was a lesson in there which i was getting deep down but not really on the surface i wasn't changing massively but it was starting to unfold and i think when i got to that last stage with toulon i just knew not so much that i that i needed to give up because i probably had loads left i was just never going to find it and that energy was going to was telling me you know this is as much as you can handle and i think some of that was because you're burning out again and the other part of it was because you want something different i just don't think i could stomach that and after the the, the career after it finished um it didn't really change that much for a, a while physically um but mentally yeah i did i did start to feel a sense of people say relief in that sense but i think it was more just a reef that I was no longer in an environment that I wasn't supposed to be. Um, and and that was a nice touch for me mentally, although I still was triggered quite often um, by seeing the game and being too close to it. But physically, I just I still pounded. And do you know what? It, as mad as it seems, it's probably since New Year this year that there's been a really big shift. The shift has been coming, but suddenly I'm looking back now with a... a almost a slight an interesting feeling about having abused my own body for a long long time and all in the name of you know a goal and perhaps a purpose and everything but I'm, I'm amazed now when I look back just the the sheer brutality of what I've mm. put myself through and, and that's been when there's been no need you know when it's part of training for a certain specific task uh, then fine but you know when there hasn't been there I've been going to the gym and, and you know, gets you, you know this firsthand after I finished and we were training together. I went into the gym and I don't see anything but the need to still play to those three things, you know, to still somehow be ready for some kind of monumental uh, challenge that just isn't relevant anymore. Um, but I go into a gym and just smash it, whatever it is, with no warm up. No warm down, just straight in. <laughs> in those same tracksuit pants. <laughs> no, but they are a good story. Like when you sit around at dinner table and he just tells you how much he's murdered his body, it's very oh. funny to hear. <laughs> I actually, you talk about how the brutality and how much you put your body through. Do you think you ever went into a game fresh? Like no. physically fresh? No. I mean, never. You, you, to, to understand the intensity of the of that energy in me that just I just didn't have a choice the the, the fear of what I had growing up the sense of doom it was darker than anything you could put a, I could put a face on because to put it to something would have given me something to focus on and and try and understand but I didn't have that so the intensity with which was I was running away from something and therefore I guess running into rugby with was so strong that um I, even in the summers, 
when I was playing, it was too long, 2013, um, I was training for the fitness test mm. so hard that I was in, I, I mean, I was, you can ask my wife this, I was crying on holiday. I was crying because it wasn't going well. I was sad. I don't mean to, uh, I don't mean to laugh, but while she gave you the wrong time the year before, as in he must yeah. have got the meterage wrong, and so yeah. you thought you had to hit that meter, which was like stupid, like it was oh, marathon record pace, and you were training for that. Yeah, but I went, I went, but I went after it on the basis that, I mean, I was, you know, it was a, what was it, 14, no, I can't remember, 1,400 meters you had to run. No, but we had, had to get, get 1,500, me and you. All right, okay. And it was it was um, five minutes of it running. So I was out in, mm. in Mallorca, and they got this running track. And I go down there, and I'm on holiday. And it's worse than playing a game. And I'm on holiday. And I'm warming up, and I'm having a go at it, and it's not happening. And I'm, I'm burning out. And then I'm going and sitting on the, the side of this running track. And then about 10 minutes later, I get up and have another go as if it's going to be better. <laughs> And I have three or four goes at it, and each time I'm, I'm in. I said to Walshy, I said, "Look, I phoned him up one year, um, and I just said, for the first time ever, I had the the, the courage to stand up against this energy that was in me, and I just set up, which was all about the values of, you know, you got to do this and be this for the team and better." And I said, "I said, mate, I no longer fitness test for the last two years, whatever it was. I said, I'm just not doing it. I said, mm. it's no longer relevant." But it's ruining me because with the England team growing up, I just had to, I had to be everyone. I got this sense that people looked at me and they were like, shit, we need him to do that because it's, so I then built on top of that. I have to win the, every fitness test. I have to hold every record. And all of these things just meant that it was just so much turning pleasure and opportunity into pain. And it, it never really, it never really left. So every game was just pure expectation and it was only in those moments I was talking about earlier with you guys when you just get that sense of wow that I would let my actual talent come out but I'd but then I'd sort of train to to let it out but then I'd overtrain to hold it back in you know I lost my speed that I had when I was young because the sheer amount of just training I did and what I felt was important and after a while teams start to be like look um three points you need to get wins and oh it's great having you there and drop goals so I just trained them more and of course what went by was my own personal desire to you know explore what I wanted with you know the best thing is tacking the loan smashing people offloading um you know just all that kind of beautiful stuff um which thankfully I had someone very big in my life that was still driving me to, to push into that but the sheer weight of self-expectation and the need to be perfect and have these things just meant in terms of going into a game fresh, I wouldn't understand what that meant. I mean, I kicked mm. every morning of every game. My, I used to, before England games, I'd go down to a, whatever green space was available, kick over swings and parks and kick at trees. If there was no space, I would, you know, it was like the two lines to kick in the car park <laughs> with Tom Whitford before every game in my trainers. It's like, it's like, when did it stop? And you can argue, oh, well, it brought about this and it was great. But there was so much of that, which was, which was, counterproductive you look back and say well geez what could you have achieved when you you know like maybe I did the first pre-season game of every season you just go out there and there's a little bit more freshness to you and you sort of feel it I always felt great in those games but that was pretty much the only freebie I got mm. Johnny you've spoken about a lot of the brutality you put your body through 
and you know you would have succumbed to a few injuries throughout your career. But tell us about it, uh, an injury you had since you retired at a trampoline park <laughs> with your little one. Uh, so I was it. I was in this trampoline park, and I'd been looking around it, and there was still yeah. This is two thousand twenty-one, maybe. So. Um, yeah, 2021. So I'm, I'm sort of looking around the trampoline part and I'm still setting myself little challenges. You know, geez, there's a level there. Can I jump on top of that? Whilst my daughter's probably like, come and do this. And I'm like, yeah, just wait there for a second. I just need to, <laughs> just need to achieve this quickly. Um, and, um, and my ankles were stiffening up. I could feel that on both sides. And uh, it got to within about five minutes of leaving the park. And they've, they've got these funny little basketball things as well. So I've been on that for about 20 minutes until I've got everything you know, perfect there. And then I've gone over and they've got that Ninja Warrior set up. Um, and, it's, and it's sort of like not being set up in a way where you've got any clear run-ups. You have to run around some obstacles to have a go at this Ninja Warrior ramp, the, the, the big thing where you try and run halfway up the ramp and then mm. catch onto the top and pull yourself up. It's a trampoline pot, so I'm in. I'm in these grippy socks. So I had a, I had a go at it. Tried to run around some obstacles and was like, ah, oh, jeez, almost. I can I get that now? I've worked out a little line in. My wife's like, oh, gee, yeah, we've got to go. It's our sessions up. I'm like, yeah, yeah, fine. I'll eat. Just one more go, one more go. Which was, you know, just one more was a big old uh, um, mantra of mine when I was when I was training, and um, I had a pop at it, literally got halfway <laughs> up the ramp and then let go and I was like yeah I'm jumping for the thing now I have to get this I mean literally I was I have to get this because if I don't the holiday's ruined for everyone <laughs> and then as I jumped I felt I just got shorter and there was it sounded like there's someone had slammed a really like heavy door and I turned around to my wife who was sat with my daughter and was like just don't throw balls at me when I'm doing this it's really dangerous you know, like throwing that basketball at my heel. And she's like, I didn't throw in a basketball. I've done anything. And I was like, oh, no, I've heard this story a million times from people. And look down, and the foot's flopping about, but it's flapping and <laughs> flopping. <laughs> and um, immediately I knew I'd, I'd just completely ruptured my Achilles. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, uh, and I did not want to be that sort of 40-year-old plus who's done himself in in the trampoline park so I walked out of there <laughs> despite the rupture of Achilles <laughs> and I walked across the road to the car I'd left the family in there and said you guys got a handle leaving here I'm going to the car um, <laughs> and and just flapping in my foot was like oh so I got straight on the phone to physios and everything and it's the one time I felt in rugby really connected um, because but within um within i was in mallorca again so within a day and a half i was back in england post-surgery wow and br brilliantly looked after which was great but the guy the surgeon came in and he said right he said we've had to it was a full-on rupture so we have to reach right up your calf to grab the other end pull it down he said but we've got an, an unfortunate issue is that your other one is very close to going as well <laughs> um which would i don't know what i've probably been the first person ever to do two achilles at one time <laughs> And what that would I'm not sure how to walk that one out. Um, but since then, yeah, as like I said, one of these messages that comes, it just makes you go, you've got to look after your, your body. It just doesn't make sense. Um, 
by kind of it's a bit weird saying that I had all these injuries when I was playing, but one of the most serious I've done basically in a trampoline park and it's a pair of socks. <laughs> it's it kind of shows the sheer wear and tear, and I'm sure there's plenty of it. You know, I struggle with my shoulders now a little bit, but I'm unwinding a lot of these injuries now. I'm seeing a lot of specialists. I've I've changed everything because for some reason, like I said, for this new year, something's kicked in me which has been really special, and it's like a different understanding of what I'm preparing for. I'm preparing to try and live my life as effortlessly, gracefully, um, joyously, and flowing as possible. And suddenly, I'm training for that instead of training to that kind of intensity, which was after something, which even when I got it, didn't really fill the void, if you know what I mean. Now, Johnny, so you're saying that your cardio sessions are less intense now? So it's interesting, if I'm going to be very honest, last night was pretty heavy. <laughs> hey and it wasn't on a bike. <laughs> no, but no, the, the, it, it, to be fair, um, yeah, they only do them every once in a while. And I do them in a way that I'm actually constantly looking at my body at, you know, through compassion and love my body to be like, look, okay, enough's enough. But, you know, mm. I need to, I, I want to trigger that side of me to, in order to make sure that I'm physically able. But relative to the life I lead, you know, I don't spend a huge amount of time, you know, sprinting after after buses or in that urgent space. So I train accordingly, but it's it's just such a difference. It's such a, uh, it's a beautiful difference. So much space and kind of freedom and connection in it, which is, uh, yeah, which is, I think, changed my life genuinely. That's good. Now, Johnny, um, we are technically an Australian rugby podcast and um, we can't have Johnny Wilkinson on without quickly touching on 2003. You can hear the excitement in my voice. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure the three Wallabies want to hear about this. But can we, we just got to, the only question I want to ask you is how, and I'm sure you've been asked it a million times, but how did that field goal change your life? It's, it's a funny one. I answer questions about the World Cup final differently every time because I think I'm really enjoying a process of evolving in my own life and, and I'm becoming someone different quite quickly. Every day I feel a bit different. I'm very unable to look back at the 24-year-old version of me and but and I recognize emotions and I can see and I understand that individual, but I don't feel like I am anything like that individual anymore. Um, and that's happening all the time. So every time I talk about it, I probably start to talk from now. So it's kind of a creative exercise for me. And uh, and when in terms of when you say change my life, looking back at it now, I don't think it really did. It just meant a hell of a lot more of the same and a lot more intensity of the same because suddenly what was this need to be um, like all those three things and also this perfection angle and this kind of get everything right, suddenly just went a lot further off the field. It used to be, you know, people knew me around rugby grounds and and it, now it was suddenly everywhere I went, I had to play that image. So it was a little bit suffocating. It was more suffocating, but it was, it, I was kind of used to that. I just ramped it up again. Um, I just literally took everything and just ramped it up. It, there was all the you know material gains and the life you know the life around me was changing but for me what happened was i went deeper and harder into what i already was um and just massively broke down and it's funny that in my career that that happened uh november 2003 i played one game two weeks later which uh just about 50 minutes in um 
I completely, my neck gave way after a lot of sort of issues during my career. I was out for 11 months and after that I didn't play again internationally for, for three years. Um, and I went from being this whole kind of, this lesson in life of wanting to be all these things and getting everything perfect. And you could argue that I, I got to that point. Um, and as soon as I got to that point, I had everything taken away from me. And my whole being was just, this perfection was about the next game, about building, about growing, about getting better and about becoming more. And that's what life is all about. And I went from the peak to three years internationally without anything. And it was the biggest challenge life could throw at me um, in a rugby sense, certainly in a career sense. And so the change of the World Cup basically involved that injury period and that massive kind of inner turmoil of just having your entire identity question and feeling massively you know, unworthy and, and undeserving of, of, of it all and sitting there and I had my neck operated on because I lost all the movement in my right arm and I was losing my, my all the, you know, a lot of the muscle in it. And it was, I was basically paralyzed for in a small area of it. Um, and then day after the injury, um, my brother was looking for me because we lived together and he, he came into, uh, um, he went up to the hotel because we live quite close to our hotel. I was like, where are you? He walked into a room and said, oh, mate, what are you doing? I was in the neck brace the day after the thing and I was smashing out a bike session. <laughs> Wow. And he just went, yeah. what, what are you, what are you doing? And we're talking, we're talking just unstable. And he's like, what are you doing? I said, I have to get back to where I was. I'm like, I'm losing, I'm losing ground and I'm heading deeper towards that black hole, if you like, that I was running from. And I'm like, this is what it takes. And sure enough, I went back to playing. As soon as I got back to playing, I just, my body gave way. Cause I, I mean, during that 11 months that I was injured with my neck, um, I knew I wasn't going to play for 10 months of it at least. Um, I trained maybe nine till four every day, Jeez. solidly. So, you know, uh, weights and rehab. I'd do a fitness session. Soon, you know, as soon as I was able to, I was kicking, skills, everything. Solid block from nine till four every day. Weekends as well. Just powered by this sense that something's not right. And it's, I have to basically keep it at bay. And so, you know, I've got injury after injury after injury after injury, just sort of saying you're breaking down. So the Toulon shift, as much as it sounds like an interesting, you know, nice part of the journey was a, a lifesaver. You know, I blew my knee out, lost the whole of the 2008, nine season, and then went to Toulon and just, and something in me gave way. It's like, this can't happen. I didn't really know it. But then when I got to Toulon, things started, because I had that freedom, everything started going okay again. Um, and I started to show off a little bit of, I guess, to myself, some of the, what I was really capable of. But as soon as people started turning up at the ground with banners with your name on, just all started kicking back in. So, you know, talking about Drew and Gitz, the arrival of guys like that who had that other way of looking at things, it, it was a tiny bit, a tiny bit of permission to just you know, go out there and, and, and see life from a slightly different way because I was spinning that wheel again in the wrong direction. And by the time it came to that last game, yeah, with what people weren't sort of aware of, as well. I was pretty close to being back in it. It got it cycled back, and I was back to that space. So when we won that that double and everything, for me, that relief of getting out of the game was just like look, I think that energy in me was in there to achieve something, and whatever that meant to me and to anyone else around. But when I got out of the game, it was like, geez, I knew it was dangerous for me to to be in that space too much longer. I think. Goodness me. Long answer to your long answer yeah, to two thousand. No, no, no. <laughs> 
we, that we also in the 2003 that final you went down for could have been five minutes um, yeah, because you again, yeah. yeah was that that same next you already had yeah. issues with it and then two weeks after you've won a world cup you want to play again yeah i mean look i was i was yeah definitely i was i was the, the way I looked at my body, like I said, about the brutality was that there were games. I remember one semi-final I played with Newcastle. Um, I had f- I had five stingers before half time, oh. and we're talking we're talking like they were going down the front of my chest, they were going down the center of my back. It wasn't just arm stingers, um, because I, you know something was sort of not in that space. I remember another story in, in two thousand six. I was kicking um, out in the field like I would and. I would, this is ridiculous saying it, but I would kick a ball at the beginning, my first kick, having had a bit of a jog around the field, I'd hit my first kick, I would collapse to one knee, have a bit of a shout, and then I'd hit another one, collapse to one knee, have a bit of a less of a shout, and I'd hit six and be like, right, we're in now, I feel okay. <laughs> now I do, I did this for about a month and a half, and, and I went in after oh. a session, having done this, and I said to the physio, and I was like, oh, I was like, kind of like confessing in some sort of confession booth. I said to the physio, I said, look, I've got a problem. <laughs> I've been basically <laughs> hiding it. And he goes, all right, okay, let's hear about this. And, I, and he's like, looking at me thinking, what are you doing? I said, okay, went for a scan. And my adductor was just clean, hanging on <laughs> by like, I mean, by a thread. It was clean. It was completely torn. And it was just hanging on. And I'd been kicking on this for a month and a half for an hour and a half a day just the brutality of being like I can't afford to be injured but I can't afford to not be absolutely ready for the game so there was kind of a, a lot of this going on behind the scenes um, but so the World Cup and the neck thing was you know in comparison I was pretty happy with that <laughs> yeah I, was, I sort of like felt okay. <laughs> alright with the neck but the yeah it, it was getting back into the rugby was where I felt safe um, there were times mentally when I was really struggling that and it wasn't just on the field with rugby, it was off the field with a lot of things. But when being on the field was the only place I, I felt okay. So after the game, I would sit in the changing room and I would hang on to that space. So I'd be in there for about an hour afterwards, just yeah, after everyone had gone, just not wanting to leave the changing room because I knew as soon as I did, um, you know, I was I was going into a space, I was just ill-equipped. I couldn't handle, I couldn't, you know, after the World Cup, especially in 2003, I, I found it difficult to handle that space. I had such a brilliant support network around me, but even still, you know, the only place I felt that it made sense was, you know, was, was on the field. So, Johnny, I guess... Well, I did that one kicking, sorry, I was just about to say, I, it reminds me, I did one kicking session with Johnny at Toulon, and I tore my quad. Oh, don't, no, 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 no. That's no, true, is, no shit, I is, promise. That, that is, is a true story. That is yes. absolute rubbish. That is yes. absolute rubbish. You did your quad... Doing kickoffs. No, your your technique another... into the fence. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I mean, look, if you're going to say it was my technique that, but that did you? Um, that's fair enough. I mean, you shouldn't have been emulating me. That was no, only going to be your session. Because... Poor Bello, Bello was in. He was ready to <sighs> get his first game for too long. You tore his. Look, this is, this is, this is absolute rubbish. Look, people were trying to just do what I was doing without that instability inside. <laughs> and that just didn't work. That just didn't work. So however, when I when I coach people now, you'd be you'd be amazed at you know the sessions I get. Most of the people are like, please can we do more? And I'm like, 
if you want to, but it's totally on you. You're ready. So I have a, I'm a very different outlook on it now, but you're right. Like to a degree, a lot of the way I was speaking in those times, I wrote a book in 2004, I think it was, you know, I read it now and just be like, you're pushing people towards, it's a dangerous lifestyle. I was, yeah, what I was going through was very able to make things happen on a field, but the message was, was dangerous. Mm. Yeah. I remember writing in 2004 in a book, I said, there's no point in basically playing sport unless you're going to be the best in the world at it. I actually wrote that. Mm. Yeah, that's the way. And I, I, I remember a big kicking at Twickenham before a game um, in the warm-up. And there was a kicking competition for some kids happening at the same time. So there were some young young people there having a go. And I was trying to kick around them, you know, get my warm-up done. Um, and I looked at them. All six of them were doing my stance before their the kick. And it was kind of a little bit sort of funny at the time to be like that. But what you also realised was they were following a message which just had no space in it. Just black and white, quite dogmatic because it was driven out of fear. Um, and yeah, that, I was probably sort of in that space when I was at the club. I was, I was still, you know, I tried really to distance myself from other people and let them just be who they were because, uh, you know, I was, that was an intensity that just wasn't, it, it wasn't healthy, I think, for, for especially not for anyone else. Well, Johnny, I hope that you still have that same intensity for quizzes because <laughs> that's how we like to finish our shows. An amazing chat. Thank you so much for getting up so early. Um, and I hope no, a few no young worries. rugby players are listening to this mm. and learning just to chill out a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the takeaway, right? Uh, so, well, John- can, I, can I just say before you do that, just as, as part of a, an opportunity to, to spin a different message, um, the all of that effort that I was putting in was basically for for three things to align myself mentally physically and emotionally in a way that would allow my talent to come out um and my gift to come out and you know physically you train to make that you know possible you do the stuff that you're going to do on the field you get your body ready so it can happen that's great and i I obviously took that to um yeah maybe a little bit over the top but mentally it, it was real well starting with the emotional one it was just about feeling worthy of being there, feeling good about yourself. But I had certain things in place that meant that I had to get everything okay around myself or perfect or have you know, people thinking or feeling a certain way about me or whatever in order for me to feel that. But just to find a way to feel that anyway is the key. And then mentally to focus on what you just what you want and to trust that it's going to come about. I mean, trust was a big issue for me. I didn't have a huge amount of it, but to trust it will come about, not be afraid to dream, and understand that whatever happens around you, it doesn't determine what's going to happen next. Yeah, you know, we like to clear that, and things can change beautifully in any moment if you stay present and you're ready and you stay in the game by just feeling good, focusing on what you want, and if that can be collective more than individual, then even better. And physically, just being full of energy, feeling good, being ready, feeling loose, shaking off, and feeling spontaneous and responsive. And that, as you said, can be done in such a a cool, chilled out way. And some people might need to ramp it up. Some people might need to bring it down, but finding that, you know, for me was was what it was all about. And now I, f- I find there's a much more effortless way to do it. So to correct that message I had before, which was that the only way to do it, you know, from 20 years ago, I was saying the only way you can do this is by basically driving yourself to the limit. It's like, it's not. It's about understanding yourself and understanding what you need and realizing that you can go there straight away. And as soon as you do, like we all know when you're on the field, um, as soon as you start feeling good, everything unfolds. So life for me has become a journey now of just finding a way to feel good about myself um, for no logical reason. 
just because I'm alive and and having that trust that what I dream can come true I don't need to go out there and force it so you know it's it's nice to have any moment I get to um you know to push a slightly different message which feels as Git said that maybe not quite so destructive it gets do the Legion need another 11? Because I'm ready to go after that. <laughs> yeah, well. Get me back in. I actually think, no, but that that's definitely, that's more for you, Drew. Remember when you came into the Wallaby setup and everyone was really strict hmm. and you thought that's the way you had to be. Yeah. And then you found out that didn't work for you. Yeah, well, that's it. I think, you know, like sometimes when you go in there, when I first started my professional career, I thought you had to emulate people that I looked up to. Chris Latham was a fullback at the time. I, I looked up to the way that he was preparing and I tried to be exactly like Latho was in his preparation and quickly learned that uh, I was very different to him and I needed something different. Then I went to Wendell Saylor. His preparation was also very different. And, uh, you know, I think <laughs> after a period of time, you, you kind of work out. And that's when they talk about experience, right, is being in that position, working out what works for you, working out what doesn't work for you, and then finding that sort of near what, 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 where that space is that's you and then being able to go out there and, and perform. Absolutely. And I know a lot of young rugby union players watch this show, mm. don't they? Mm. Yeah. So listen to both. Well, it's our first step. So they will. They will. Listen to Johnny. And lots to Johnny and a little bit to Drew. That's the best <laughs> way to, <laughs> to describe it. All right, let's quiz. Let's get into the quiz. Hey, um, Johnny, how it works is it's multiple choice. You can pick any answer. It's a, It's pretty much a piss take. Um, and it's just is there a right is there a right answer is there a right answer or is it pretty much is this building a psychological profile of myself somehow <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> is the right answer this is that's no. exactly what we're doing no there is a right answer um, but it, honestly it's not very serious at all um, it's just because I like doing quizzes basically it's the only way to describe it all right here we go question number one as we discussed earlier. Um, I didn't discuss it. I was meant to in your questions and I forgot. Um, Johnny once signed the most lucrative French rugby contract ever. Who was number two on the list? Was it A, Brian Habana, B, Johnny Sexton, C, Bucky's Botha, or D, Matt Giddo, who is still getting paid, apparently? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you know what? I, I I think it's Johnny Sexton. Yeah, I agree. B, no, B. Yeah, Johnny, Johnny. Johnny. You can't all pick the same answer. It doesn't work. Well, I think it's an obvious one, though. Okay, yes. Ding, ding, ding. It was Johnny Sexton. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you had three blokes from the same team. We can't all be getting paid the highest. <laughs> Very good point. Okay, Johnny Wilkinson is known for his incredible visualization skills when kicking the ball, hence why he is so successful. He pictures an old lady called Doris in the crowd, and Doris holds something that Johnny aims to knock out of her hand with the ball. What does Johnny visualize that Doris is holding? Now, Johnny, you might go last on your answer here if you don't mind. Yeah, happy, it, happy. Thank you. Is it A, a can of Coke? B, a cup of English breakfast tea? C, Bill, the William Webb Ellis trophy? Or D, a big dilly? I'm going to go Doris with the tea. Doris with the tea. Swoop. Can of Coke. Can of Coke. Gits. Yeah, can of Coke. He liked his Coke. Johnny. Do you know that it's it? It actually is none of them. Yeah, I thought oh. it was a newspaper. No, the actual answer to it was um, in the most authentic way. Was it was a thing that myself, and my king coach, um, you know, f- fabulous genius of a coach, Dave Orrid, was. Uh, we came up with start with seat numbers. So on an empty stadium, you pick a seat, a single seat, and aim at that. 
Um, and then it became the idea that someone was sat in the seat and they were holding something. So you're just sort of focusing even more specific. And it was Doris holding an ice cream. Ice cream. Uh, ice cream. Uh, ding, ding, ding. Doris, yeah. um, so Johnny got the only one got it right. Johnny got it right. Well done. Yeah, and, I'll take that one. Thank you. And <laughs> another week where our <sighs> quiz writer Tom. No, no, no. The, but however, <laughs> however, the reason the reason that you've got that in there is because uh, an English newspaper, the Times, ran a uh, when I was injured after the World Cup, sort of said, "Oh, we're going to do a few bit of a series of articles," and one of them was on this visualization thing. And they had two things. One was that I was kicking into a a clown's mouth laughing at me and it was that kind of mindset of like which was yeah i'm not quite sure where that came from and the second one was they actually had a picture of a lady behind the post holding a, a, a can of coke uh, and that's where it all came from so okay. we were right kirby well yeah, no like take tom, half a point half. yeah but tommy half do point, your yeah. research better i want two sources on everything okay <laughs> that's bullshit okay number three <laughs> so johnny is winning mm. um uh, johnny and his wife have a line of kombucha drinks called Number One Living. Which flavour was ranked in the BBC's Good Food Guide for Best Drinks in 2023? Johnny, again, please hold your answer till the end. Was it A, ginger, B, passion fruit, C, raspberry, or D, Aussie tears? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with ginger. ginger. Oh, I want ginger, ginger too. I'll go raspberry. Raspberry. Johnny? Hey, you got me a little bit here because... Um our best-selling uh, flavour is ginger, um, but it may be that they um, – I don't know if they picked that one. It was I, ginger. I, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, it was it ginger. Was, it was, yeah. Yep. What was the other flavour you were thinking, Johnny? Um, all of them are great. I, so they, they've all had – yeah, they're all featured in articles, but, yeah, we, we – to the nice little plug for me, thank you. We have a range of living drinks, very much part of this um, uh, new drive to look after your body and – understand it on a, connect to it on a deeper level rather than just i'm going to thrash the hell out of it right and you don't have say a spare 600k australian lying around to <laughs> to sponsor a podcast do you <laughs> no have a think have a chat to the missus is this part is this part of the quiz <laughs> yeah. yeah the correct answer is a, a yes a yes b for sure d lock me in okay i miss c uh number four johnny Oh, so you two got it right. So, um, yeah, three, two, one. Yeah, we get it. Yeah, we're all, we're all on three. Okay. <laughs> no, I don't think you are. Gits, don't toss yourself up the top there, mate. <laughs> for Johnny is known for being cool under pressure, but he is known for having a few phobias. Which one of these is not one of Johnny's phobias? A, crowd interaction at events. B, being stuck in an elevator. <laughs> C, heights. D, the thought of Gits making more money than him at Toulon. Heights <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was fine with on the cliff jump. I'm going to go stuck in an elevator. No, it's which, which one is oh, not? Which is not. I oh, so yeah, heights. heights. Yeah, heights. Gits? It's, yeah, it's but I mean, you guys are so boring. Choose something else. Well, you choose something else. Oh, oh the my ties have kicked in. <laughs> what are you going, Gits? I went heights. <laughs> Johnny, what's the answer? Um, the answer's stuck in an elevator. I was never worried about the financial side with Gits because I actually, that was one of the part of the conditions of my contract was that I always had to be earning more than him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ding, ding, ding. None of you so are I right. I jumped off the right one. Mm. Uh, question number five. On November 22nd, 2003, an infamous day, 
How many babies were conceived in England? In the morning, because obviously it was the evening here. Yeah. <laughs> probably around about, ooh, what was it? About half past nine by the time he, with the wrong foot, slotted it. Mm-hmm. How many? We've actually looked. Oh, I've got to give you A, B, C or D. Yeah. A, 2,169. B, 21,690. C, 216,900. This is in one day. D, 2.169 million <laughs> babies conceived. I'm going to go B, 21,000. B, 21. Swoop. I'll go the one, two, is it 200,000? 200,000. Yeah, one 200, of those. Yep. Oh, okay. So B, C, gets A. A, 2,169. Johnny? Yeah, I don't know. B, maybe? B. Okay, well done. Gets, ding, 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 2,169. Yeah, right. Babies, yeah, bonus point. How many of these babies were called Johnny? Closest yeah. answer. Out of uh, the 2,169. This is legit. We've looked all this stuff 68. up. 68. Swoop? 500. <laughs> Gits? <laughs> How many of them were boys? Well, Do you know? I, I mean, I let's can't just go with half. Fun. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was just thinking about going in half. Um, I'm going to go with 800. 800, Johnny? Um, I would say uh, 106. <laughs> The answer was 28. Oh, so I... So well done. Oh, Closest well done. was me. I hope you're keeping score here. And that was 28. And here's a little uh, little extra bit for everybody. Three of them were women. Three girls. Oh, wow. Three girls called Johnny. So oh, it's... Wow. Yeah, right. I guess you can be both. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Okay. Hey, do you have a score? I think that was all the questions. Yes. Johnny won. <laughs> yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Every question was about him. Oh, d- no, but... <laughs> Johnny. It's that was also easy. part of the, his requirements of coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Win the quiz. Um, congratulations on being our big winner, Johnny. Thank you so much for coming on. I know it was a tough time. Absolutely fascinating chat. Um, and a, what a star to start off with, guys. Yeah. And, Johnny, I just want to say, mate, looking forward to catching up in Mallorca and you take us back to yeah. that nudist beach and we pick out the longest chad. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mate, you're more likely to get the telegraph poles of that. <laughs> <laughs> One of them was a telegraph pole. Last time. <laughs> oh, I'll, mate, I'll set him up. You smash him. <laughs> very, very good. Uh, we'll let you go, Johnny. Thank you very much. Uh, just a reminder. Um, oh, and also, yeah, I'll, I'll send through a contract for the sponsorship. Thank you, mate. Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll let you go. Uh, just a reminder our socials um, is at kickoffs and kick-ons that's on everything that's on x insta youtube tiktok remember like and subscribe that's how we're going to survive uh all jokes aside if you are a business and you do want to sponsor us uh dm us on insta or send us an email or whatever it is um do we have an email address ollie info at shtn.com.au <laughs> uh, send us a note there hey just while i remember um johnny also, he's got an amazing podcast as well. It's called I Am, and he talks a lot about that stuff, about his career and reflecting on it, and it's very good. Have you listened to it? Yeah, Rick? I have. He speaks to some amazing guests. To get, they get deep. They, look, it's actually really insightful, <laughs> much more insightful than than, uh, than our podcast, but make sure you also tune in to I Am. Hey, Giddy, thanks for jumping on. Lovely. Um, Fantastic. I hope the preseason continues well for you. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Thanks, mate. Thank you, mate. Uh, see if you can get any cash out of the Mai Tai from your boss. Yes. Uh, yes. Thank you. Yes. See how you go. Uh, swoop. See you next week. Biv. Yeah. See you next week. Uh, first episode of Coco. Yeah. Thanks very much. And thanks again for J-Dub.
Yeah, what a legend, guys. Real pleasure. Drew, you sign us off? You want me to sign you off? No, I prefer Drew. Okay. <laughs> Coco! <laughs> G'day, please, if you like the show, well, show us you liked it by pressing like and subscribe so we can exist because we don't have any more money. We need your support. And make sure you check out our other videos. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 